This program deals with themes of an adult nature and is intended for a mature audience. The very word secrecy is repugnant in a free and open society. And we are, as a people, inherently and historically opposed to secret societies, to secret oaths, and to secret proceedings. Our differences worldwide would vanish if we were facing an alien threat from outside of this world. We must guard against the military-industrial complex. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! The questions you always had. The answers you were never given. The place to seek the truth. Welcome to Veritas. Headline edition, July 8, 1947. The Army Air Forces has announced that a flying disc has been found and is now in the possession of the Army. I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore! The power they took from the people will return to the people. The Matrix is everywhere. It is all around us. It is the world that has been pulled over your eyes to blind you from the truth. Shall I tell you what I find beautiful about you? You are in charge of every best when things are worse. Sooner or later, though, you always have to wake up. Be skeptical, but don't close your mind. Greetings to everyone around the world, and a warm welcome to another edition of Veritas at VeritasRadio.com. I'm your host, Mel Thambergas, and I sincerely thank you for joining me once again. And if this is your first time, please make yourself at home. To listen to all our shows, just go to VeritasRadio.com and subscribe. You'll have access to all our seasons going back to 2008, and you'll receive your login immediately. And have you listened to Sanitas Radio yet? It can improve and maybe even save your life or that of a loved one. You won't want to miss it. That's if you want to take control of your life. Go to sanitasradio.com to listen and subscribe. And don't forget, you can purchase MMS directly from us, as well as our futuristic metal-cased USB drives with all our seasons and bonus material. Just visit the Veritas store. And to get in touch with us, for member support, media inquiries, you want to be a guest or are a whistleblower, there's a link for you by clicking on the contact button of our website at VeritasRadio.com. And tonight we discuss the present and the future with scientist, best-selling author, and futurist, Dr. David Brin, right now on Veritas. David Brin, Ph.D., is a scientist and best-selling author whose future-oriented novels include The Postman and Earth. His uplift-based Hugo Award winners include Star Tide Rising, and the Uplift War. The Postman inspired a major film in 1998. Brin is also known as a leading commentator on modern technological trends. His nonfiction book, The Transparent Society, 
won the Freedom of Speech Award of the American Library Association. Britain's newest novel, Existence, explores the ultimate question. Millions of planets may be ripe for life, even intelligence. So, where's everybody? And we have a more comprehensive bio at our website. And to learn more about Dr. David Brin and his work, visit his website at davidbrin.com. And directly from San Diego, California, I would like to welcome, and it's a privilege to introduce Dr. David Brin to Veritas. Hello, Dr. Brin, and welcome to Veritas. I am so proud to be welcomed on Veritas. It's a wonderful, wonderful program. Thank you. It's my pleasure. May I call you David? <laughs> Absolutely. And I'll, 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 I'll refer to you as, as, as Mel. Please, please do. I have the latest book here in front of me. Existence. And although it's a novel and we discussed this before the, the show, a lot of information that we see here could be applied to our own existence. And that's why we are calling this show Existence. Do all civilizations make the same fatal mistakes? Do they, David? Well, um, for about 30 years, I've been engaged in what's called SETI or the search for extraterrestrial intelligence. Uh, it's in both in my fiction and in, as a scientist, as an astronomer. And it is, of course, the big question. Are we alone in this fantastic, huge cosmos, uh, a galaxy that contains about half a trillion stars, and there are about half a trillion galaxies? I mean, the, the size of the cosmos and the number of places where life might evolve um, is mind-blowing. So the idea that we would be alone – well, that's an awful big waste of space. So the question then becomes, um, why don't we see any signs of advanced civilizations? In theory, human, human beings in just a thousand years are going to be building fantastic constructions around other stars, uh, things that are, might be called Dyson sphere, spheres, uh, D-Y-S-O-N, Dyson spheres, which might enclose an entire star and use all of its sunlight. Um, why do we see no signs that anybody else has done this sort of thing before? Why do the radio searches across our sky um, hear none of the um, leakage of the radio um, and television or, or advanced communication systems of other aliens? Why do we not see any beacons from those advanced life forms um, that would be greeting us and helping us across our own adolescence? Um, this is not to say that they're not out there. Uh, I I believe that uh, that there are beings out there to some degree, but clearly the numbers are more sparse than we used to think they were. And then the question is, why? <coughs> Pardon. So then the question then becomes, um, why do why do we seem to be fairly lonely right now. I'm putting aside UFOs and things like that because uh, I, I, I don't really credit those. Uh, and if UFOs really are aliens uh, buzzing farmers and disemboweling cattle and doing pulling stunts, then I don't consider that to be intelligent life. But um, the question then becomes, what may be keeping the numbers down out there? And there's a, there's a tool for looking at this. It's called the Drake Equation. And it says that the number of intelligent life forms out there um, that might be visible 
Well, you take the number of stars and you take the fraction of those stars that uh, might be good, stable stars, and you take the fraction of those that have planets, and then the fraction of those that have planets that have liquid water um, at decent temperatures, and then you take the fraction of those that actually develop life, and the fraction of the life-bearing planets that actually develop intelligence, and the fraction of those that develop civilization. And the fraction of those that survive long enough to be detected. And if you multiply that all out, well, you should get the number that are in our galaxy. So what do we get? Sagan, Carl Sagan and the other optimists, they thought that there had to be at least a million other civilizations in the galaxy when they did all that calculating. Uh, it's beginning to look as if it's probably more sparse than that. But Why? Why? Well, if you take a look at those factors, the fraction of stars that have planets, we now know an answer to that, whereas we didn't know just 15 years ago. Just 15 years ago, we didn't know uh, of any planets outside of our solar system. Now we know of more than a thousand. And there are three or four thousand candidates that are being checked right now. So within a couple of years, we may know of two or three or four thousand planets outside our solar system. What an amazing time to be alive. And some of these planets orbit their stars in what's called the Goldilocks zone. And that's the zone where they're just the right distance from their star. They're not too far, so they're not too cold. They're not too close, so they're not too hot. But they're just right. That's why it's called the Goldilocks zone. And we've already found some that orbit their stars in this zone, the way the Earth orbits the zone around our sun. So if that's the case, then that factor is probably high. So then what are the other factors? And if you like, we could talk about that uh, as far as, you know, how likely is it that life evolves? How likely is intelligence? I remember a few years ago, I had a conversation with Edgar Mitchell the astronaut. And we discussed that our priority as a species should be to preserve the species and find an alternative to planet Earth. We, we talk about all these planets that are in the Goldilocks zone. But if we don't have a way to get there, how close are we to achieving this? Well, that's, a, that's an extremely good question. Um, we're fairly close to being able to go and mine asteroids. That's the current plan for the United States space program. It's close enough that some billionaires are investing in a company that is hoping to get rich by getting these resources. Uh, let me take a little detour and talk about that because it is so fascinating. There are, there are probably a billion asteroids orbiting our sun. Um, uh, tens of millions of them large enough to be dangerous to the Earth. Um, we know that one 65 million years ago killed the dinosaurs and almost wiped out life on Earth. Um, so the United States Congress has demanded that NASA and the military at least find these asteroids and, and figure out if any of them are coming soon. And, and so far, the results are encouraging. Uh, the one that blew up over Russia last year was a little frightening, and some people were injured. But uh, that's not the kind that really we have to worry about. And so far, it looks as if 
none that we found so far are heading, are heading toward us in the near future. That leaves comets, of course, which might hit us from by surprise. But there's another aspect to these asteroids, and that is that um, they contain fantastic amounts of resources. If you were to find the right one kilometer across asteroid, bring it into orbit around the moon and melt it down, what would you have? You would have the entire world's steel production for a year. You'd have the entire world's gold and silver production for a hundred years and the world's platinum group elements for a thousand years, a thousand times the platinum and other rare earths and things like that that we um, pull out of our minds every single year. Well, that's an awful lot of wealth. And of course, if you brought it home, platinum and gold prices would, would drop. So you can't actually calculate it simply how rich you'd be, but you'd get pretty darn rich. But the real wealth is using these resources in space where we could make beautiful spinning colonies like uh, in the movie Elysium, only one hopes much nicer and, and not ruled by terrible oligarchs. Hopefully, yeah. But uh, we could make Elysium-type structures by the hundreds, by the thousands. And I'm not saying we could make this tomorrow, but within the spe across the next hundred years, all the physics is there, all the engineering calculations are there. We could do it if we wanted to, and the result would be that we would be so rich that we could stop tearing into the Earth with our mines and our drills and turn the Earth into a park. We would be so rich. And that's what those billionaires who are behind the Planetary Resources Company, that's what they're trying to do, that they want to get rich by finding all these things and making us all rich. Others want to go to the moon, which I think in the near future at least is a waste of time because the moon in the near 20, 30, 40 year, year period is really of no use to humanity. The asteroids might be. But then after that 20, 30, 40 year period, then we're talking about Mars. And my colleague, the great science fiction author, Kim Stanley Robinson, he has a series of novels called Red Mars, Green Mars, Blue Mars that is truly fabulous um, that um, – if you like science fiction, this is science fiction for grown-ups. It, it takes you to across the span of several thousand years as we terraform Mars. And this is the activity that, um, uh, that the great Elon Musk would like us to do. He's the Edison of our time, um, the man behind the Tesla electric car, sure. SpaceX space launch system that's revolutionary, uh, revolutionizing our ability and access to space. And he wants to make an entirely new type of public transportation system in California. You can look it up. It's called the um, the Loop. What's it called again? I, something. Um, but in any event, Elon Musk, he's motivated by getting all these technologies together so we can become rich enough to start colonizing Mars because he believes that we should not keep all of our eggs in one basket. We should spread out. Because then if something bad happens to the Earth – then the people of Earth can call for help from the people in the space colonies. And if something bad happens to the space colonies, they can call for help 
from the people of Earth. But if we screw up the Earth and don't have any people elsewhere, then who will we call for help? And that's exactly the point of my conversation with uh, Mitchell. But you say that the moon might not be a productive uh, endeavor, but isn't the moon a good starting point if we are to go to Mars? Why haven't we returned to the moon also after almost 50 years? Well, um, you have to understand, we went to the moon for two major reasons. One was uh, political. We were in a space race. It helped to assert American pride and to um, put the Soviets in their place um, and and make them make it clear that – are you still there, Mel? I'm still here. Okay, great. Um, the make it clear that you know it was still the American century. Uh, that that was a bit arrogant. But the other reason was science, and we learned an awful lot. We learned a lot about uh, nature, about the moon, about uh, the solar system, about the history of about our own history, and we learned a lot of good technologies. But we didn't find treasure there. We didn't find any particular reason why we have to go back. Now, the Chinese just landed a robot probe there, and they intend to go back. But their biggest reason is, again, the same reason we went there, and that is national pride. There is a company now that is offering billionaires the chance to finance for just $5 billion, a lot less than we it cost us to go there with Apollo, to go – there as tourists. And I'm all in favor of that because there's so much money pouring into the billionaire class right now that if they were to spend their own money to increase our space technologies by getting to be historically the first lunar landing space tourist, I think that's a win-win for everybody. So I'm all in favor of that. But as far as tax dollars is concerned, I just don't see a useful return coming going going back to the moon. It it uh, from a cost benefit ratio, it's a waste of time and money, and at least over the next thirty, forty, fifty years. Eventually, yes, I'm a member of NASA's Innovative and Advanced Concepts uh, group, and we analyze. Um, uh, proposals for advanced concepts, and one of them is to land a robot on the moon and another on Mars that will anchor itself at the edge of these wonderful holes that our orbiting space probes have found that appear to be deep underground caves that are lava tube tunnels, tunnels where lava used to flow. And they have these in Hawaii, so we know exactly what they're like. And sometimes the roofs of these caves cave in, and we've spotted what seems to be a few of these cave-ins, in which case there may be these underground chambers that would make ideal places for um, our first colonies. And these robots will anchor themselves at the lip of these holes and then lower themselves down, or it's called repel themselves down to the bottom and then explore these caves. Well, I might be wrong about the moon. I'm all in favor of continuing to do robot science there. You know, 
in preparation for this interview, I was looking at NASAC because for some reason I always felt that they didn't want pri the private industry to be involved. But yesterday I saw the news coming from Cape Canaveral, the headlines. Thank you for listening. To unlock the full two-hour interview, including video formats, downloads, transcripts, exclusive articles, and more, subscribe to Veritas Plus now. Gain access to our entire archive dating back to 2008. Just click subscribe at veritasradio.com. Because you don't want to believe, you want to know. Subscribe now. To listen to the rest and all of our exclusive material, proceed to the Veritas Plus member section or join the Veritas Plus family by subscribing. Click on the subscribe button at veritasradio.com. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store for focused life force energy. Get a 15-day free trial today with no credit card required. And if you want to get in touch with Mel, want to be a guest on this radio program, have a guest suggestion, or have feedback, just click on the contact button on our website at veritasradio.com. Now, proceed to the Veritas Plus member section or subscribe to listen to the rest of the interview. You don't want to miss it. Because you don't want to believe, you want to know. What are you waiting for? Subscribe now at veritasradio.com.